Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. The Gospel of John is opened with an expressive declaration, something reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. This designation of the Word was a relevant term that held significant meaning for both Greek and Jewish cultures. John used his multilingual ability to address both a Greek audience and a Jewish audience. His declaration then is spelled out in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it's revealed that John is referring to Jesus of Nazareth, saying that he is the word from the beginning. Now, throughout this book, John has a stated goal for his readers. It's written near the end of his book, but he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So throughout this book, the, the stories, the details, even the book's structure is meant to emphasize this goal. The author of this book wants his, his readers and listeners to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So he leads his story with the confession of a witness. Earlier in chapter 1, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. There's our key word again, believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This John that the author refers to, he's traditionally known as John the Baptist. He's recognized as a Jewish prophet who had a a priestly lineage. He was the son of a priest. And his message, as a, as a prophet, his message was one of repentance. He wasn't necessarily foretelling. I would say he's forthtelling. But his signature ministry was to baptize people by submerging them in running water, often like a river. Then he would warn them that the Lord was coming. Something very similar to what Jesus would announce. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, the reason that John the author uses John the Baptist as a witness is because he's using someone outside of himself, someone well-known, to give credibility to the incredible declaration said at the opening that Jesus is the word from the beginning. John the Baptist seems to have been a somewhat controversial uh, character, at least at least to some people. 
but for many people, he was well regarded. Leading up to his uh, imprisonment and eventual uh, execution, uh, like I said, some people didn't like him. Uh, it's, it's said about him. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. John the Baptist was considered to be a prophet, and he held a great influence over the people of his area, even over Herod, who reluctantly killed him. So with all this in mind, kind of understanding who we're talking about when we say John, let's turn our attention to John chapter 1, verse 19. We'll, we'll take a look to see what this John the Baptist was bearing witness to. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Based on his answer, you can kind of tell what was on everybody's mind. He didn't introduce himself. He didn't greet them. He confessed. Take in this mental image with me. We have here a prophet whose message is about repentance. He's being questioned by priests and Levites who were well-schooled people, people who had uh, a respectable status in society, and they were sent, thus having the authority of, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Now, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were called the Sanhedrin. They were allowed under Roman supervision to have a, a limited amount of governance over the Jewish population, specifically governance over the realm of religion. There's probably a whole history book we could read about how that got set up, but we'll just, I'll just leave that there for now. Within the Sanhedrin were certain parties, uh, famous ones, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but there were others as well. One of their responsibilities was to safeguard teachings from unknown or untested prophets. This was instituted uh, by the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Here, I'll just, you know, it's pretty short. I'll just uh, read it so we can get the full effect. The, there it is. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or, or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. 
This is Moses speaking. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we will die. That, uh, that's recorded in Exodus chapter 20. The Lord said to me, this is still Moses speaking, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words into his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. This law was to be upheld by the people of Israel, but by the time of John the Baptist, this responsibility of safeguarding was mainly exercised by the Sanhedrin. They were in charge of, they, they oversaw the, the religious teachings of Israel. That's, that's just kind of how things ended up after years and years of change and people navigating change. The Sanhedrin were stewards of the Mosaic law of religious teachings, and specifically, maybe more importantly, uh, tradition. However, this interaction with John the Baptist is very curious. It's very curious to me. Rather than summoning him before the Sanhedrin, they send people who are associated with the Sanhedrin, but not necessarily members of the Sanhedrin, to go visit him. He's, he's a prophet, at least he's considered to be, and he has a message that he's sharing. Why are they keeping him at distance? Are they trying not to officially recognize him as a prophet? Are they shirking their duties and, and just handing it off to someone else? It's a very interesting situation. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. You know, based on the, the interactions of the other gospel accounts, this could easily be a trap. We see numerous examples of this throughout Jesus' ministry. The, the Pharisees, a political party within the Sanhedrin, often tried to trap Jesus with his words or with hard questions. Here's an example from the Gospel of Matthew. The Pharisees left the place where Jesus was teaching. They made plans to trap Jesus with a question. So they sent some of their own followers and some men from the group called Herodians. These men said to him, Teacher, addressing Jesus, we know that you are an honest man. We know that you teach the truth about God's way. And you are not afraid of what other people think about you. All men are the same to you. So tell us, what do you think? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This, this was a crafty argument. No matter what side of the argument Jesus took, he, he could have got into a lot of trouble. He could have become polarized among his followers for supporting the Roman tax, or he might have incurred the attention of the Roman authorities for fear of starting an insurrection. He was well known. He had a lot of followers. 
But Jesus, in this story, he wiggled out of it like a pro. He just made people marvel at his wisdom. It's a cool story. But I have a suspicion that's kind of what's happening here with, with John, John the Baptist. The open question of who are you gives John the perfect opportunity to say something that would entrap him. His message of repentance would have been known. His symbolic work of baptism would have been talked about, clearly, because it reached the attention of the Sanhedrin. They may even have known who he was, John, the the miracle child from Zechariah, the priest, and his wife Elizabeth, born during their old age. Asking the simple question, who are you, would have given John the opportunity to say something, well, out of arrogance, for, for one, or at the very least, he could have given them some reason to shut down his ministry. Why would the Sanhedrin want to control John's message? Because it was a message of repentance. It's talked a little bit more uh, in the Gospel of Luke. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked him, What then shall we do? He answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what what do we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what, what do we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. John's message may have been good, but it wasn't comfortable. It stirred up people. It stirred up emotions, even actions from people. People responded to this, yet it wasn't a sanctioned ministry allowed by the Jewish leadership. John's comment about you brood of vipers is also echoed by Jesus in his ministry as he referred directly to the Pharisee party. You can begin to see that the Sanhedrin were at odds with John's message of repentance. And so they sent priests and Levites to question him. But it was said long before John that a messenger was to be sent from God and that he would purify the sons of Levi. It says in Malachi chapter 3, a prophecy about God's messenger. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. This is something that the author John uses to structure his gospel. Jesus goes to the temple in chapter 2. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. John the Baptist was to purify the sons of Levi. He was to be a refiner and a purifier. Who could stand before him? Because he prepared the way of the Lord. He would level the path. How would he do this? By preaching a message of repentance. By preparing people's hearts and minds to receive Jesus. And by redirecting the attention he received to the coming of the Lord. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. And so they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He responded, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, uh, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Look here. Uh, well, you can't look, you're listening, but notice. <laughs> notice each question that they asked. 
Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? These, these questions, these were expectations that had been set up in the Old Testament of people who were to come. But in this situation, these questions were most likely laid out like a snare to trap John. If he claimed to be any of these three things, the Sanhedrin would have had the responsibility to oversee and engage with John's ministry. However, at this point, nothing that John had taught or said yet was grounds for removal. Everything he had proclaimed and taught was supported by the Torah. In John's humility, he denied any ancient fame and redirected it towards the Lord who was to come. It's, it's interesting, though. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus himself said about John that if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. So Jesus clearly thought of John as the fulfillment of Elijah, but John himself resigned to the fact that he was a voice, a testimony, a witness, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose... I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Remember the author's introduction. In the beginning was the Word. Then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's revealed that John is referring to Jesus of Nazareth saying that he is the word from the beginning. Again, throughout this book, John has a stated goal for his readers. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So throughout this book, we need to remember that the stories, the the details, even the book's structure is meant to emphasize this goal. The author of this book wants his readers and his listeners to believe. To believe that Jesus is the Messiah. To believe that he is the Son of God. So here we have the great witness. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That's from John's uh, prologue, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. 
He was the refiner, the purifier of the Levites, the voice crying out in the wilderness. Right after that statement in the prologue, we then have this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What did we just see in today's passage? A selfless witness and a selfish opposition. Or th- those are my words. That's what I would use to describe it. John's message was one of repentance. And it seems that a lot of people had something to repent of. But what do we see the Jewish leadership doing? We see them keeping John at a distance. We see them sending people to John to inquire about him. We see strategy intact in the way questions are asked. And we see what appears to be an unrepentant attitude. Yet despite this, John bore testimony. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on him. This was John's ministerial purpose. For this reason, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Let me read this part of the prologue again. It fits. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This prologue sets up the structure of the immediate story. We've seen the witness. We've seen the opposition. In our next lesson, we'll look at those who believed, those who were given the right to become children of God. One of them was renamed immediately, right after meeting Jesus. That that might not mean a lot to us, but names were really important back then, and that was kind of significant. We should remember, as we do this study, that the author, John, is not structuring this gospel according to chronological events, but according to the goal that he has in mind. He wants everyone who hears this to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. Repent, for the Lord has come. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries 
and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.